Hi Lex, such a nice pleasure to have your growth mindset on. And uh, as I normally do, I ask guests to introduce themselves. Wonderful, happy to join you uh, and talk about both my background and the exciting stuff that's on the horizon. By background, I have a mix of entrepreneurship, financial services, and fintech experience. And what that means is that I've worked at large investment firms and investment banks, uh, and then use that experience to start uh, several companies of my own. Some of them have been in the digital wealth space, which is helping people get financial advice um, and access to financial services using software, the internet, mobile phones, things of that nature. Um, and then more recently, I've worked uh, in research, helping uh, institutional investors and regular people understand the transformation that's happening across financial services and how young companies and startups are really changing the way that people access their banks, their investments, their loans, and their insurance. So a little bit of uh, traditional uh, world in my background, but I'm really excited about the early stage ecosystem. And I think now is a very special time for that transformation, especially in finance. Thank you, Lex. It's, it's such a great pleasure to have you. I know you are, I would say, an expert domain in this, uh, in this field because you constantly kind of uh, write content and you are one of the LinkedIn top voices in, in this field specifically. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's a real treat to be able to follow all of the, the new developments that are happening because so much from the world of technology, from artificial intelligence and how uh, we communicate with our devices and how our devices communicate back with us. Uh, that impacts whether people can get bank accounts and they can spend money and they can pay for things online uh, or developments in the uh, blockchain or Bitcoin crypto ecosystem. If you think about the nature of money and the nature of value um, and how people build companies where the value is open source, that's impacting, um, again, the industry. So it's a really cool moment uh, to focus on this stuff. And um, there's been a ton of engagement on it uh, on LinkedIn, which I've been, you know, I've been fortunate to have those conversations. Okay, that's excellent. So basically, in order to kind of also um, educate uh, the audience, uh, could you be so kind to kind of explain what's the difference between cryptocurrency and blockchain? We hear a lot of these uh, buzzwords, but people who are uh, uneducated in, in, in this field probably may not really know uh, the exact difference, uh, if there is any, or uh, they work together. Sure. Uh, the... The fun thing about stereotypes or buzzwords is that there's always an element of truth to them, but it's also overused and at some point it becomes irritating and, and reviled. And um, the media and practitioners often use things like the word crypto or token or blockchain as a shorthand just to have a technical kind of flag to say, this is what we're talking about. Um, end of the day, blockchain is um, the infrastructure, the, the technical software infrastructure, kind of like a database, but uh, a more modern version of it that underpins a variety of crypto assets. Mm -hmm. Now, the word crypto itself, I mean, all of these words, like they sound bad and they make people feel bad, right? Mm -hmm. um, blockchain makes you think of being imprisoned in chains. Mm -hmm. Crypto has, you know, makes, makes you think you're in some sort of crypt. 
So they're dark words, but they actually, I mean, they're, they're great concepts. Crypto comes from the word cryptography, which is um, based on uh, which powers encryption, which makes things secure. So if you think about communications between people and secure formats of payment on the internet, already all the, all the websites are, are secured. So if you've ever gone to an HTTPS website, that's encrypted and your data is more, is more safe. So uh, crypto assets use the blockchain as a way to um, store data about them, or store ownership and location and transactions. Um, and so you're, you're talking about the infrastructure versus the yeah. result that happens from that infrastructure. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much because it's true. I couldn't agree more with you. And where do you think is the disruption happening? And if you could give a real example of a startup that's using a blockchain technology in order to kind of change the way we see transactions. I mean, my answer would be um, that, you know, anyone from Hyperledger to R3 to consensus Uh, to Goldman Sachs, to Circle, to Coinbase, mm -hmm. you know, there's, uh, there's just very many to select from. Mm -hmm. But we can start at the very beginning, which is Bitcoin. So Bitcoin is not a company, it's, a, it's an asset, it's a currency. Um, and it's a decentralized money. Mm -hmm. um, it does not require a company to be working on it for it to exist. Uh, it just does, because mm -hmm. people support it with different Uh, nodes on software that they run on their computer. Um, but the thing about Bitcoin is it's got, I think the number is somewhere over 50 million wallets um, mm. in production today, uh, which have been running for over 10 years. So, well, maybe, maybe about 10 years. Mm. So if you think about that, you know, you look at any company that has uh, 50 million users Generally speaking, um, you're not going to doubt whether that company is getting traction or not. Um, it just so happens that crypto assets are, have become a very political topic and their volatility and exposure to their value um, has, has made people have a lot of emotions and feelings about them. Mm -hmm. um, but there's, no, there's no doubt in my mind that you know, we're in a place where there's a ton of value that's moving through Um, both crypto assets like Bitcoin, as well as uh, blockchain-based companies, which are transforming different industries. Mm. And to give you a different example, there are enterprise blockchain companies which are not decentralized per se. They're not really there to create um, these censorship-resistant assets, but instead they're there to help big companies save on costs. Mm. So if you can imagine, for example, shipping some, some uh, manufacturing object, let's say car parts, yeah. from China to somewhere in the United States. Now, that's a, a very complex workflow. It might have dozens, if not hundreds of different checkpoints and steps. And yeah. uh, at each one of those steps, you might be doing identity checks and you might be distributing payments or you might be um, moving parts with... Um, particular codes on them off one process into another. So enterprise blockchain, for example, can help with you know, the logistics or the shipping or the trade finance industry in order to identify particular, um, uh, particular objects in that value chain and then tie payments to them or tie identity to them 
and then put that all on a common system. So in a way, it's almost an excuse for industries that historically never wanted to cooperate because they thought of each other as enemies. Uh, It's an excuse for industries to take pieces of infrastructure and mutualize them, meaning just kind of make it into a public good. Um, So that's another example, which is quite different from the crypto assets where uh, blockchains can be used to take out costs and make things um, more efficient. Now, we're early in this process, uh, for sure. There's no question about it. Uh, but the 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 travel the direction of travel for is certainly uh, towards rolling out these systems and developing them with um, with several industries in mind. Wow, it's uh, because I think this is one of the uh, the things of the side of the aspects of blockchain that probably it's not so uh, uh, quickly uh, heard of or easily heard of. We do definitely heard more about the the crypto uh, asset side uh, side of things and not so much about the how a blockchain is is uh, kind of optimizing other um, more traditional processes uh, um, that that are necessary. So it's uh, it's very interesting that you you pointed this out. Um, sure, absolutely. I mean, if you think about the, the just the very different vectors of turning what human beings do into software, mm. you know, everything from automating sales into a CRM like Salesforce, mm. or um, automating uh, savings and investing into something like Betterment or Nutmeg or Revolut. Mm-hmm. Um, all of these are, you know, they're steps towards um, turning a lot of paper and human work into mm-hmm. code um, and into software interfaces. And what um, a blockchain infrastructure helps you do is, in, instead of focusing on the distribution layer or in, in, you know, kind of be customer facing and interaction facing the user experience, you are instead digitizing the physical thing itself. You know, and that doesn't have to be physical. It could be abstracted to be a financial instrument or a money or something like that. Mm-hmm. But you can take physical goods and have digital objects that are scarce that you can then track and put into larger um, into larger systems, which you couldn't do before without this technology unless you were, you know, relying on somebody um, to run it in the cloud and then you would, you would have this third party which controlled the database. So... The, you know, there there is, I think, a transformational uh, possibility, but it is not an easy one. And the, you know, this is why you need somebody like an IBM um, mm. to push it through. Yeah. So, if you were to mention or to uh, a few of the big challenges for cryptocurrency to become uh, cryptocurrency or blockchain to become um, mainstream, which one do you think uh, would be? It's just the technology. Just uh, having people uh, who uh, are formed and trained in, in, into this type of technology. What do you think are the the main challenges? So for sure, regulation is a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that regulation is bad. It's rather that um, regulating very quickly moving innovative industries is hard. Um, and especially when it reaches across different geographies. So different countries think about regulating money and loans and uh, securities in very different ways. So you're in this international legal murky zone where 
Um, you might move things from one computer in Canada to another computer in Singapore, um, but the law changes as you move the thing around. So um, figuring out how to fold into the regulatory systems across the world mm -hmm. is quite difficult, and that, that for sure is number one. Um, number two, I think, is the, the cost of switching to a new technology is quite high. Um, mm -hmm. The internet became, um, e well, it wasn't easily adopted, but a lot of internet technology was adopted because you gave people what is essentially candy in order to do it. Mm. Um, so free music, free, free television, uh, free newspapers, you know, free mm. shopping. Um, all of those things were like candy that got people to adopt the mm. internet model. With uh, blockchain-based systems and with crypto assets, um, there's not yet something that is driving the mass adoption of cryptocurrency um, across mm -hmm. phones and across uh, regular people that's changing mm -hmm. um, and that's been previously impacted by the speculation in the space that drew a lot of people to it but that's not a good mm -hmm. reason to really adopt the technology yeah. so it's a it's a difficult path but we're getting there mm -hmm. nice uh, and we have we have defenders like you who are constantly uh, trying to kind of bring awareness about the the uh, positive aspects of, of having this type of, of technology or infrastructure um, kind of helping us. Um, another thing that I'm also uh, very, very interested in, and you also mentioned it uh, briefly about the, the, uh, the free market to say so. You, know, you, you talk a lot about in your, in your articles about ethical business models and you see a uh, blockchain um, uh, system or infrastructure as the mean to do so or to get there. Uh, and it's something that I really, I really see that really bugs you and, and you're a great defender of, of kind of moving towards uh, a more free market and a more ethical business models. Could you, could you um, uh, comment more on this? Sure. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a broad issue and it's uh, where to start. So, yeah. you know, there's, there's some systemic issues in the world today which um, revolve around the distribution and access of products on both the financial side as well as just the, you know, regular access to commerce and things like that. So access to financial services across the world is extremely important and difficult, but for many financial incumbents, it's too expensive to provide services to, to people who don't have a lot of money. Mm. Um, and that's a, that's a real issue. It's both expensive to reach them, you know, they don't generate that much profit for you. Um, and then also, you, um, you can't really sell them um, a lot of the types of products that are the most profitable. Mm. So you end up with this asymmetry where the people that need um, kind of the most help financially, whether that's to get a loan to go to school or uh, to be able to have a credit history uh, to, to buy a house or to invest in something that will save for their retirement, mm -hmm. the people who need that the most are also the least likely to have access to the best types of products. And so the last decade in finance has really I think helped people deal with this um, uh, from a startup point of view. Startups have, have attempted to 
both make distribution easier by putting finance services into the phone and then also make the now the manufacturing of the stuff easier by using tokens and blockchain based systems and that's kind of the next leg of the adventure is trying to figure out how can you make venture capital or private equity or hedge funds become uh, much more portable and liquid so that somebody with $50 a month could have access to the same type of um, uh, possibility and outcome as you know a Goldman Sachs executive who has access to the best stuff. Um, and I think the issues that we see in politics today, which are in large part driven by income inequality and wealth distribution issues, um, you know that that are really tearing apart the Western world. Mm-hmm. I think um, if you could start to address that through access and finance, you know it's not. It's a small, it's a small element of it, yeah. but it's at least a start, and it can help people change their thinking um, on what their set of possibilities is. Yes, yes, it's definitely. There, there are many uh, in other continents who don't have access to this this type of um, wealth, uh, as you were saying, in order to kind of uh, have access to to the middle class ladder. And uh, I think there, are, uh, and definitely you also mentioned that in one of your articles, there are many companies who are kind of looking uh, to other markets in order to kind of uh, boost those other markets always from a from a business point of view and, and considering that this market uh, penetration is going to, in terms of access to, to mobile phones and internet and um, it's going to be uh, bigger in the future. And you were mentioning also, for example, uh, Alipay and uh, how are they they're dealing in terms of, of finance and, and helping uh, people in other continents or also uh, Karim. Uh, as one of the examples that you were mm-hmm. pay, you were giving uh, that are kind of disrupting or innovating in, in in these areas. Yeah, for sure. So there's a there's a um, international difference mm. um, where the type of you kind of have to go back to what financial products are. Like if yeah. you think about a factory that makes financial products, like what goes in and what comes out end of the day, what goes in is data and risk, mm-hmm. and what comes out is streams of money. And those streams of money could be you know, a loan, or they could be investments with some particular set of characteristics. Mm-hmm. So in order to get the inputs, which is, you know, can you afford the risk? Or um, what type of... Um, what type of financial goals do you have? Mm. Um, or what's your credit score? All of that stuff requires social and economic infrastructure that in the Western world is quite established. You have multi-dozen billion uh, dollar market cap companies um, that do the business of collecting this data, standardizing it, and it's, it's all uh, neatly packaged. Now, in the rest of the world, and in, in much of um, kind of the unbanked part of the world, you simply don't have these types of credit histories or structured financial data. People don't have credit cards. They might not have bank accounts. Um, they may be the first person in their family to have access to, uh, to finance uh, or to have some particular type of job. So you have to innovate and think about, you know, locally, how do you make 
underwriting? How do you decide to give loans or how do you uh, kind of build the same types of products? And so Mm -hmm. for that to work, you need different types of data that kind of works as a proxy. And whether it's social data or shopping data uh, or family network information and local players in non-Western geographies have been uh, extremely innovative about finding these proxies and approximations mm-hmm. and using you know, machine learning over time mm-hmm. to be more and more precise in linking what could seem like um, quite disparate and different types of information to you know, whether somebody should get a microloan. Um, and I think it's really clever and it's allowed some companies to leap ahead of where um, the West is because the West is still stuck in here's your credit score rather than, you know, here's the full 360 point of view around who you are as a person and, you know, your, uh, your educational history and where you're going. So just as an example, um, in the U S if you're going to go to school and take out a student loan, uh, you're going to get an 8% rate, whether you're going to Harvard to study business or whether you're going to, um, a small liberal arts school to study French literature, uh, it's going to be the same, the same interest rate. Uh, and I think it's, it's just much tougher in, in the West to get away from these structures. So seeing emergent technologies like uh, AI and big data be used as solutions to fill in a gap and kind of leap over the traditional um, traditional incumbents. I think that's really interesting and great. And we're now starting to see how that's bleeding back into Amazon and Facebook and Google who mm-hmm. are starting to build up similar data sets but don't know how to use them yet. Yeah. Excellent. In order to kind of move this to the startup field, uh, how, how would you uh, advise a person who's trying to, or a founder who's trying to implement blockchain technology? What do you think are the first steps that this person should consider? Sure. Um, I think as with any entrepreneurial journey, you, you can't start with your, uh, with your product. You can't really start with your solution. You have to start with the customer and what their demand is. So whether you're in a B2C business and you're looking at how are people making decisions about, you know, buying some particular thing, mm-hmm. or whether you're in a B2B business and, and trying to sell to big enterprises, your whole existence is dictated by the information you learn from your selling process, mm-hmm. right? So um, you spend a lot of time, um, trying to find pockets of demand where the demand is not fulfilled, where somebody still needs something, whether it's um, they need to be able to pay more cheaply or whether it's they want to buy music that they don't have access to in their country or whether it's um, you know, medical equipment, any type of business. So you, you can never start with the premise blockchain, therefore you know, some product you always have to start with the opposite premise, which is um, what is my customer? Where is the demand that I'm seeing? Mm-hmm. You know, how big is that pool of, um, pool of revenue that could work for me? And that's a, that's a hard path. I think once you get over that, you then need to look at your technology stack and yes. 
for most kind of blockchain companies or companies that use blockchain to support a solution, um, blockchain is really 5%, you know, maybe 10% of your technology stack. Um, it's similar to, you know, you're designing the front end of your website or your mobile app and you're, you know, you have to des decide what uh, library to use to um, power the, the JavaScript and the interactions. There are some popular ones, there are some less popular ones. It's really a technology choice for that regard. I think for, for blockchain, it's similar. If you, if you find that you're dealing with digital goods and that the digital goods need the attribute of scarcity, so you have to somehow track them um, on, a, on a common basis with others. Um, and then maybe, you know, if you kind of go more extreme and you go into the crypto world and you know, censorship resistance is important and you're trying to interface with other crypto assets, at that point, maybe much more of your tech will be uh, connected into the, the blockchains and sort of the decentralized uh, community. But if you are an entrepreneur building a more general business, um, then you know it's just uh, it's just one more Lego piece in your toolkit. Yes, yes, couldn't couldn't agree more. Thank you, thank you so much for 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 bringing this information to the to the listeners who probably uh, think of blockchain as the uh, as a must have, no, in order to to attract investment. Because uh, I do I do hear it a lot, and and uh, I really wanted to to know your your point of view on this. And and thank you for for kind of um, letting listeners know that the important thing at the end of the day is is the problem you are trying to solve, and uh, that's that's where you you should definitely start with and and from that on build on on top of that i don't know if you could uh, if you can think of a specific business case that has made uh, good use of blockchain specifically if you i don't know uh, you're you're based in london if you can think of a specific startup that uh, that's using um, Specifically, you already given some example, but if you can think of, of some other examples that that kind of uh, ring a bell to the to the listeners. Well, let's let's just pick two different types of projects. Okay. I would say today most projects, at least the ones that I see, are the ones that um, treat blockchain-based assets as like a good to trade and make money mm -hmm. off of. So. Um, brokers that trade Bitcoin and 150 different other um, cryptocurrencies, right? That's uh, whether you like it or not, um, exchanges, custodians, broker dealers, advisors, and traders, um, to, and miners that support the creation of crypto assets. That is the by far and above the bulk of the, of the blockchain industry mm. today. Right, so the use case literally is equivalent to you going on an exchange and buying a share of Apple stock, except mm -hmm. in this case you're buying a, sh a share of something else or a, another type of asset. Mm -hmm. um, and again, that that is sort of a financial use case. Mm -hmm. Now, the other direction, you know, let's take something like a land registry. There are countries uh, like Georgia where government records of land ownership instead of just being recorded on paper and held by the government, are also recorded on a blockchain. Why is that important? Because if somebody in the government is bribed hmm. to give the land to their friend or to somebody else, they can always do that on paper by crossing out the information if you have hmm. corruption in the country. But if, 
it's also recorded on a public ledger, there is no way to forge or change that information. It's just it's impossible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's a use case for um, physical records. You can do the same thing for a video game. You yeah. can have a video game where you have objects that are either virtual land um, mm -hmm. and you can have the exact same land registry or maybe it's the equipment in the game, right? So um, eSports and virtual goods are multi-million dollar industries. Um, I think uh, mm -hmm. Fortnite, which is the top grossing game uh, today, made $3 billion in revenue last year. Right, so the, the goods that are being sold in a game like that, again, could be made scarce and real and put on a, on a crypto platform so that people can track it and you know, they know it's authentic and they, they're not duplicated. The mm -hmm. same logic applies from digital goods like virtual land or video game items to music or uh, film or to books or to articles. And so there are companies, you know, anything from Brave to Civil, um, they're all working on ways to bring back micro transactions to um, you know, unique pieces of content and to um, kind of track how the content is made and, and whether it generates any revenue. So those are, that's a little bit of a flavor for the yeah. types of things that people are building. Nice. And one last question that it just uh, uh, came up. Which specific field do you think people who are thinking to start a business related to uh, finance, do you think it's very, very convenient to, to think of starting a business right now? What do you mean? Like if you were to disrupt something in finance, what, in the, what sector should you look at? Yes. Like in terms of what do you think it's, is the trend in, in the future? Where do you think it's going to be a very big impact? Sure. It really depends on yeah. your skill set and your capabilities and interests. So there's quite a bit to be done in mobile first yeah. finance. So building neobanks or banking services into the phone or building investment services into the phone. Um, and those types of companies, Revolut, Betterment, Acorns, Robinhood, uh, Lemonade, uh, N26, you know, even the digital lenders like SoFi, those companies are uh, in a place where creating the best marketing machine that reaches the most people and gets them to download an app that's easy to use um, are in high growth mode. So if you are looking to join or you know, create a company, if you know how to reach users and how to acquire them and get them to purchase a financial product, that certainly continues to be an op opportunity. Uh, payments and digital lending, I think, are slightly easier than the other categories, brokerage and investments and, and wealth management. Mm. But all of them are come combining and, and forming things together. The other directions you can take are more around kind of these frontier technologies. There's a lot to do in enterprise, in B2B with both blockchain solutions for infrastructure that would be inside of trading and capital markets or, or money movement and payments. And then also with artificial intelligence on a whole set of uh, finance problems, whether mm -hmm. it's using AI to better communicate with clients to uh, using AI to better make investment decisions or, or underwriting decisions or uh, to prevent fraud and enable risk management. So, but those tend to be much more um, enterprise focused. So you'd mm -hmm. be building institutional sales forces and 
you know, running the company with that, um, with that intent. But I think um, it's one of the most, if you are at all predisposed to thinking about uh, finance, I think fintech and and building a company in the space is one of the most interesting things you can do because Mm -hmm. there's this really broad range of things uh, to build, of technologies to use, and of problems that continue to remain unsolved because the incumbents are you know, still very slow and quite conservative. So um, as I said before, it's a really exciting time. And I think mm-hmm. uh, hopefully kind of learning the story about what's happening in this industry gets people motivated. That's been so so interesting. You just gave you a, a very uh, broad view on on how this is um, uh, is changing the world. To say the way we interact and with a specific impact on 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 finance and not only. And uh, it's uh, it's been great having you. Uh, I really appreciate your time. The, I don't know if there is anything else you you would like to add for the listeners uh, to consider where they can follow you or or things that you'd like to for them to, to bear in mind whenever thinking of, of, of this aspect. Absolutely, yeah. I uh, put together a weekly newsletter on these issues, um, both on LinkedIn. You can easily find me, uh, Lex Sokolan, on LinkedIn or on Twitter. Um, and then at LexSokolan.com, you can get uh, subscribed to the, the free weekly newsletter um, where I touch on everything from artificial intelligence to mixed reality to blockchain all of that, how it impacts um, the way the financial industry is coming together and how entrepreneurs are building companies um, that are making a big difference. And I'd love to hear from uh, the audience.